Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 8, we see Jesus feeding another multitude. He fed 4,000, then had some conversations with his disciples about the hypocrisy and the false religion of the religious leaders in Israel. And he's challenging his disciples to believe in him and to get their eyes off of themselves. And then we see another change of scenery, another location. And this is a very short little chapter, but uh, there's some definite things here for us. Let me read and then we'll have a word of prayer. Verse 22, it says about Jesus, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of out of the town and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him he asked him if he saw anything and he looked up and said I see men like trees walking then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly and he sent him away to his house saying neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town let's pray together Thank you so much, Lord, that you are truly Lord of all as we sang that last song. Jesus, you are Lord of all. And we are grateful, Lord, those of us in this room who have said yes to you. We realize you're alive. We don't see you with our eyes, but we see you with our eyes of faith. We know you. We experience you in the intangible place called the soul. Just as surely as somebody can feel love from someone they don't see. Lord, we feel your presence. God, we we know that you exist. We know that you're King of kings and Lord of lords. We know that you have all power. Lord, we want to see you clearly today. God, we want to have another view of you, Lord. We pray, Father, for everyone in this room, Lord, that you would speak to every heart here today and that each one of us would leave this place today having a strong sense of the reality of who you are. So Lord, teach us your ways, we pray. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this message, Becoming Able to See. And this is a real unique miracle that Jesus did. This is the only miracle that we see Jesus doing where it seemed to be gradual. And there's some different thoughts on that. And I'm not going to focus too much on the the fact that it was a gradual uh, miracle that it kind of seemed to happen in steps. There's, there might be some real spiritually deep significant reasons for that. There might be some natural reasons for that. And so I'm not going to try to decide the significance of that part of it so much as just to see how Jesus treated this man and to see what the application is for us. So, verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida and, he, and they brought a blind man to him and, and begged him to touch him. There is a wonderful group called They in verse 22. And, and uh, usually when we talk about they, we said, you know, why didn't somebody clean this place? They were supposed to clean it. And usually when you hear they, it's usually kind of in the negative. Somebody was supposed to do it. They were supposed to do it. Well, here we see a group of people called they, and they are doing something wonderful. They are bringing their friend to Jesus. This is all we hear about them. We just hear about them in this opening verse. After that, they, they're not uh, mentioned any longer. And yet without they, this whole thing doesn't happen because this man is blind and he needs help. 
Look at, look at his friends. This first section, I just simply wrote, this man had friends that helped him. They believed that Jesus could heal this man. Maybe they had seen Jesus heal others or maybe just heard about him. But the main thing is, the main concern, the main thing is this. They had great concern for their friend. And they really believed that Jesus could make the difference. It says that they begged him. So there was a strong urgency. It's actually for you guys who like the Greek words, it's parakaleo, which is the word which describes the work of the Holy Spirit. Para is like parallel when you have two lines that are side by side with each other. So para is when somebody comes alongside of somebody else. Kaleo is that comforting or that, that interaction part of it. So these people come alongside Jesus and they're urging him very strongly. It's not that Jesus needed urging, it's just that their hearts are so concerned for their friend. I have to confess there were a few times this week where I was just preoccupied with other things. I would have to, have to admit lesser things as I reflect back on it now. Where I had a chance to maybe speak a word into somebody's life or pray for them or make a suggestion. And you know those moments where you, you do something and you're kind of preoccupied and really not thinking about the highest things, the kingdom of God and such, and you kind of miss an opportunity and, and then you walk away and a few minutes later you think, you know, that was an opportunity that I missed. And I, so I, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up and, you know, scourge myself over it or anything like that, but it's just a gentle reminder that God brings Christians opportunities to minister to other people and to care for other people and then to do something about it. So it's wonderful to have good intentions, and I don't think good actions come without good intentions, but good intentions are not, what? Enough. They're not enough. There needs to be some action. So I walked away from a couple of encounters this week just saying, Lord, you know, just a gentle apology. Sorry, I think I missed a couple of great opportunities. Sorry about that. Help me to be more sensitive, because I do care, but I need to have my spiritual eyes open and need to have a spiritual awareness of what's going on around me. All of us do. All of us who follow Christ, we need to, to, to be that way. I want to encourage you guys. Every time you get in your car and drive to the store or go shopping or whatever you're going to do, pray before you go. Pray before you get out of your car. Lord, help me to see anything you want me to see. And then if there's anything you want me to do, we have some little booklets in the foyer. I think if they're not there, we can get them out there to you. They're called My Heart, Christ's Home. I've been talking about it for a while. They're in little booklets. I keep them in, in, in a little compartment of my car, right in the door. They're handy. If, if the Lord puts it on my heart, I can grab it and just give it to somebody and say, hey, this is really good. Read it. I read it when I was a kid. It made a difference in my life. It, it's something, right? So every follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you guys, have that mindset. Have, have an awareness of people that need help these people had an urgency about their friend that needed help and then they did something about it. And I, and I want to be that kind of person. I want to continue to be that kind of person. I have been by God's grace. A lot of you guys have been as well. I want to continue to be that way. So this guy's, in this situation, it doesn't seem like this guy's going to get to Jesus unless his friends help him. And how many of us, you can raise your hand if you'd like, had somebody help us to get to Jesus? Raise them high. There you go. Okay, let's do the same, shall we? Amen? Do the same. His friends, second point, were willing to be associated with him. Now, this isn't particularly clear to us right off the bat, but in that culture, some people believe that blindness was a result of somebody's sin. 
So it wasn't just something that happened or just a sad truth that happened to a child being born blind or somebody had an accident and that kind of thing. There were a lot of people in that, in that culture that blamed people for being blind, saying it was either their sin or the sin of their parents that was passed down to them or even that the child, that the baby could sin in the womb. Now, I want to just you know, ask you guys to think about it. If you were born blind and grew up being told, well, it could have been you sinning in the womb, what does that do to your psychological well-being, going through life saying, I don't even know what maybe I did in the womb. I have no recollection. Or maybe it was my parents. Should I love them or should I hate them? Should I resent them? How should I feel about my parents? How can you even know that's an unanswerable question? It's a terrible thing to put on someone. You can read about this in John chapter 9. There's a whole long scenario there where the Pharisees come to a man that Jesus had healed of blindness and they're really questioning him and going after him. And even the disciples in, in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, ask Jesus, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. You got it all wrong. And yet that stigma, guys, was attached to people that were born blind. Now, why is this important about his friends? Because his friends didn't care that, that there was a stigma attached to their friend. They didn't shy away from him. They cared about him enough to say, it doesn't really matter what people think about my friend. I'm going to hang out with him when I'm going to get him to Jesus. So may we not, you know, it's, it's important to have a good reputation. I agree. It's important. I've heard it said something like this. It's a paraphrase. It takes you a lifetime to build up a good reputation and you can lose it in a moment. And some people indeed have lost their reputations in a moment because of things they actually did. Sometimes our reputations are in danger, though, because of the people that we choose to hang out with or associate with on occasion. I'll take that risk. Do it wisely. Do it in a godly fashion. But there are some people that we're going to bring to Jesus. If some people see us with them, they're going to think not good things about it. But these people didn't care. They were willing to be associated with someone that carried a social and spiritual stigma. They were willing to associate with someone that was misjudged. Guys, that's a friend, isn't it? I read about people that have, have, as they say, fallen from grace. Movie stars or athletes or famous people that have done so well and got caught in an indiscretion or something like this and just got written out of everybody's schedule and just kind of thrown under the bus, as they say. And as they write about how they recovered from that, there was those one or two faithful friends that would come back and say, yeah, you really blew it, but I'm still here for you. That's the kinds of friends that this guy had. These are the kinds of people. This man had friends that helped him. So I want to encourage you guys, if you're a follower of Christ, is that happening with you? Has it happened ever? Has it happened lately? Those situations can only happen as they occur, but are you ready? Are you thinking about it? Are you praying for it? I pray that you are. Secondly, we see Jesus, his caring healing of the man. Jesus is very intentional about how he helps this guy. Look at verse 23. Let me read this account again. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly, and he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into town nor tell anyone in the town. 
We have to remember these miracles, and I was, I was talking to Pastor Rob about it. We were discussing it. It's like, you know, he and I are trading off a lot in the pulpit now, and he's just really teaching well and, and so on and so forth. And so we're talking about the messages and what do you have next week and what do you have next week and kind of mapping things out a little bit. And, and we kind of kid each other, oh, it's another miracle. <laughs> Jesus is doing another miracle again, and he's doing another one with spit again. What are we going to say about this? You know, and just, you know, we have a tough life. We have to, you know, it's, it's a tough life deciding how you're going to preach a sermon. But Jesus is doing so many miracles in the Gospel of Mark. It's just, it, you know, as you're reading it, it almost becomes commonplace, but it's not commonplace at all. We just don't want to miss the spectacular nature of these things. Jesus had power over all creation. And he's, he's bringing sight to a blind man. And it's, every single miracle is amazing. And this one is amazing as well. Jesus, notice, didn't feel the need to perform a miracle in, in front of a curious throng. What I'm going to suggest to you here, and I don't know, I don't know if this is exactly what's happening because we're not told. But I like to use a phrase that I have a, a sanctified speculation or a sanctified hunch about maybe why Jesus did these things. It's not gospel, it's not, it doesn't tell us why. But I've been around people and you've been around people and I can maybe connect some dots and come up with a good holy suggestion. I've been in church a long time and Debbie and I have attended churches, attended one church in particular, where they were very uh, eager and very aggressive about wanting to see miracles done. And they would have the service, you know, the worship service, the teaching, and then they would have the after-the-service ministry, and it would be off in another room. And I remember, I think you were there, I don't remember, Deb, if you were there at this particular one, but um, where, the, where there was a guy, kind of one of the, the leaders in the church, praying for a gal who was blind. And there's, there was such a commotion around the girl and, and this guy. And people are looking, and they're this and that, and there's talking going on, and kind of the volume is raising and he's, he's kind of commanding her to see in the name of Jesus and this and just, you know, you guys catch, catch the drift, right? And she didn't get her sight. And it was just this chaotic, tense moment. There was no peace. Uh, I can't imagine maybe the pressure that the girl was feeling. It's like she, she sat in on the service and maybe listened to some of these messages about how Jesus... Uh, healed and, and so on and so forth and what kind of pressure is she feeling and, and now this church leader is praying and he's raising his voice and there's people all around and it's it, they were meeting in a gymnasium so there's a lot of echo in the room it's just, it's just kind of chaotic you know and then she didn't receive her sight and we all kind of walked away everybody's like I, I imagine a lot of people walk wow that was a bummer how about for her you know and, and the curious carnal crowd can, can get all excited about wanting to see something spectacular sometimes. You know, why are some of maybe the most viewed videos on YouTube or something like that are like the slow motion of a train wreck or something like that? We, we love to see the sensational, spectacular, wild thing. It's just human nature to do that. And Jesus, it seems, is just saying, you know, I'm not going to do that to this guy. I don't feel the need to have to do a miracle in front of all of you people. And there were undoubtedly people there that wanted to accuse him and undoubtedly people there that wanted to support him. And there was a kind of a mixed crowd there. If you go to John chapter 9, I encourage you, if you're interested and you want to have lunch, do a little homework, additional reading, the guy in John chapter 9 became the lightning rod for an argument about who Christ was. 
It wasn't that he received his sight back. It's that he became a pawn in a religious debate. They didn't care about the guy. They wanted to use the miracle against him so they could use it against Jesus. They didn't care about the guy at all. In this particular instance, Jesus just seems to be saying, I'm not going to do this to this guy. I'm going to protect this guy. His main concern was for the well-being of the man on all levels. Consider this, guys. I want you to put yourself in, in, this, in this blind man's condition or position, I should say, because the same emotions can happen to us. We're suffering with something and the Lord wants to minister to us, but he not only wants to help us with the problem, he wants to preserve your well-being, your physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual well-being. He wants to protect you on all areas. I see Jesus, we see Jesus doing that time after time. Many of these instances, he would take somebody out of town, get them away from the crowd. I'm not going to make a spectacle out of what I'm going to do for you. I'm not going to put you through that. You've been through enough. It says that Jesus, look at verse 23, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out. He could have done it another way. He could have said, hey, Peter, take him out of town. I'll meet you in five minutes. But Jesus was very personal with this guy. The hand of the creator was in the hand of a blind man. The blind man was holding the, the hand of God and walking out of town. And when you're blind, you have to trust somebody. And I think Jesus is probably building some trust with this guy. He's building relationship with this guy. Jesus could have just said, you know, I'm busy. And remember what season of life Jesus is in. He's been trying to get away on a retreat for a long time, right? If you've been tracking with us over a number of chapters, this this whole season started with him trying to take a break and the crowds wouldn't let him. He could have just said, you know what, friends, I'm tired. He's healed, boom, on to the next one. You know, he just could have done that, but he doesn't do that with the guy. He's very personal because he cares about the guy. He could have healed him with a snap of the fingers and sent the guy home and people could have said, what happened? I don't know. I, really, I don't know who the guy was and I never talked to him and just suddenly I opened my eyes and I could see. I don't. But it's not just about healing his eyes. It's about touching his soul. The Lord wants to minister to that intangible part of us called the soul. And I think Jesus is really going out of his way to take care of this guy and to love this guy and be gentle with this guy. It's not just a duty or a responsibility. This is a burden that Jesus has for this guy. That's the heart of Christ, you guys. I have to admit, sometimes I feel like I, I'm helping people because I know it's the right thing to do, but I'm thinking about something else. God, forgive me. Forgive us, right? To miss loving that person, too. I've also been helped by people where they helped me, but I didn't sense the love. That's almost like, you almost kind of want to say, never mind. Sorry that, sorry to be a burden to your life. Sorry, sorry that I'm such a bother. You know, I've been on both sides of that equation, sadly, on both sides. The one committed against and the one committing, you know, kind of that, that fault. But Jesus, no, he's, he's loving this guy. It's beautiful, don't you think, amen? It's a beautiful thing that he's doing. Very personal, he's building trust. I think he's raising the expectations of faith within the man. Who knows also, I mean, you know, if the disciples were walking along kind of behind or something, what little conversation was going on there? Was Jesus holding the guy's hand just saying, hang on a second, you know, just wait another minute, it's it's all going to be okay. You're going to see in a few minutes. What was going on there, you know, to minister to this guy? Whatever Whatever it was, it was perfect and right. It was perfect and right, no matter what it was. 
I mentioned the carnal, curious crowd. Sometimes people want to see something happen so badly that, that uh, it just becomes a circus. I, I'm grieved, I'm sure. I would have to think the heart of God is grieved when we, when we see healing services that become, they look more like a, you know, a riot. It's terrible. There are, and you know, and it's just even sad that people have to pretend to be healers, you know, and you guys have probably read the stories of pastors. You know, they're having a big healing crusade and so they're making people line up uh, outside of the, the arena or whatever, and, uh, but there's somebody outside greeting people and taking notes, and, hi, how are you? What are you here for today? And so they'll take their, oh, what, you know, what's your name? And they're taking information, and then the healer comes out, and they're up in the booth, in the sound booth, reading the information, and the guy has a bug in his ear. This is true. Pastors have been busted for this kind of... There's somebody here, you have a white sweater and you have a low back problem and the doctor said this and the person says, it's me, how could he know that? Because he has a bug in his ear. And it's fake and it's phony. Come up here now, throw those crutches down and that kind of... You know, I just... I, I can't say all of that's fake, but some of it is. And I just see nothing... I see nothing of Jesus doing this kind of thing. If you're ill today, we would love to pray for you. We have oil right there, and we're going to anoint you with oil. If you're ill today, if you have chronic illness, I'm all about praying for people to be healed. I'm all about that, and I think God still does heal people. Not always. If you're a Christian, eventually. When I'm sick, if somebody says, I hope you feel better, I say, I will eventually. When I go to be with them, I'll feel great. I'll be able to have my 48-inch vertical leap back. For you basketball players, you know what that means. I never had that. I'm lying. But I'll be healed of lying too. (laughs) I think we should pray for healing and all that. But Jesus doesn't make a spectacle of things. And I think he's protecting this guy. There's a great benefit of being away from the crowd. Look Look at the notes. Upon being healed, this man doesn't have to deal with a clamorous crowd wanting to test the validity of his healing. Imagine the people coming up and looking. Now let me look. Now my brother was a doctor. Let me look. And all these people, let me look at your eyes. What color is this? And how many fingers do I have up? And all this commotion that could be going on. There would be people that would be doubters. No. How many fingers do I have up? No, I had three. I mean, you know, all this crazy stuff that people do. Jesus is protecting this guy from all of that. From the carnal, curious people. There may have been some there who want to use this man to further their agenda for Jesus or against Jesus. Some would say, see, he's the Messiah. No, he's not the Messiah. This guy really wasn't born blind. He just looks like the guy that was born blind. And we see that in John chapter 9. Jesus is protecting this guy. This man could be healed in peace, not not in the center of a three-ring circus. Jesus is protecting this guy. You know, we have prayer cards in the pews. If you need prayer for something, fill it out. Let us pray for you. There's people that pray here regularly. We want, and we've seen God answer some of those prayers beautifully. You don't need to put your name. You can just put an initial for yourself or an initial for somebody else. God knows. I think it's, it's, there's a time and a place when we share a prayer need with a lot of people that we can trust who will treat it respectfully and it's a real delicate, tough situation, you know, and, and it's, it's not gossiped about. 
And then there are other prayer chains that are more like gossip chains, and you just don't want to share with those kinds of people. And you can, we can pray for you anonymously and all that. All I'm saying is there's a time and a place where you just kind of need maybe some support but some privacy at the same time. You need to tell a few choice people and ask them to keep it quiet because if too many people know, suddenly there's all this going on. There's all this chatter going on. It's unnecessary and it's damaging. All, and you guys know how it is. Some of you maybe don't even want to fill out a, a, a prayer request card and even put your initial because somebody's going to guess who it is. So just put a fake initial. <laughs> just put somebody needs prayer for, you know, and we'll just keep praying for somebody. They will keep praying for somebody. This is a joke. Come on, you guys. They, you know, verse 22. Yeah. Because we need our hearts protected, don't we? We need our, our emotions protected. I just see Jesus doing that with this guy. I just see that. It's a beautiful thing. When the Lord wants to heal us, when he wants to work in our lives, he's not just about us getting through the, the problem or that, this thing or that. Or, you know, he's, all about, he's all about the process too. I believe that. It's all about that journey from that place of, of, of struggle to that place of health, protection along the way. The actual healing down at the bottom of, the, of page one, ancient cultures believed that saliva had curative powers and Pastor Rob spoke on that a few weeks ago. So this wasn't a strange thing for Jesus to do. And this is called the gradual healing, the only gradual healing. And we know that Jesus did not need to use saliva to heal the man's eyes. He could have just said, be healed, be opened. He did that on other occasions with deaf people. So he didn't need to use saliva. We're not told exactly why, but he did. This is interesting. On a more natural note, some suggest that the man's sight came gradually because some eye diseases would leave a gummy residue on your eyelids. You know when you wake up, like when I have allergies and I wake up, I have to like pry my eyes open. There's so much of that sleepy, gooey stuff. I don't even know what you call it. Sleepy, gooey stuff. I don't know. It's just That's the medical name for it. Look it up. Sleepy, gooey stuff. And maybe this guy's blindness had been, his eyes had been closed so long, but they were just kind of stuck shut now. So maybe Jesus is just going to, I'm healing you, but man, we've got to get those eyes open. <laughs> like a mom with a little kid, you know. <laughs> oh, got to do some more. You know, maybe, maybe he's just washing his eyes. I don't know. I don't think we need to get hung up with why it was gradual. Maybe it was just very natural. But I think instead of making a big point about that, I like to look at the way Jesus treated this guy, which to me is, is kind of the more noticeable thing. Let's turn our notes over. The man's first vision was, like men, was of men like walking like trees. We're not told, but this seems to indicate that he had been able to see before. He knew what men looked like and he knew what trees looked like. So apparently he wasn't born blind. But blindness, according to the commentators that I read, was not uncommon in ancient cultures. Lack of medicine, malaria, all kinds of different eye diseases. I also noticed that as Jesus ministered to him, the man continued to submit to Jesus' healing. I think this is really important. I need to see. Let me spit in your eyes. Is there another way? <laughs> Apparently not. Okay, spit, spit away. <laughs> Can you see? Not really good. Why didn't, you, why didn't you make me better all at once, Jesus? We're not told. But he didn't leave. He didn't say, well, this is only, you know, partially good. I'm going to just, 
I guess I just won't bump into things now, but I guess this, I'm stuck. My point is this. He just continued to submit to Jesus. Guys, how many of us miss the full healing that God wants to do because we quit halfway? Because we don't like him spitting in our eyes or whatever it is he's doing. This man continued to submit. Finally, the healing was complete. He could see clearly. It says that Jesus took him out of town. Another commentator mentioned this. Maybe he needed to test his newly gained eyesight in an area where it wasn't crowded. It's like letting your child learn to ride a bike not on a busy street, but out, out in a parking lot somewhere where there's nobody there. So it could have been just very practical as well, getting him away from the crowd and then getting him to a place. Imagine learning, learning to see again in a, in a busy, crowded street. That would have been tough. Finally, how wonderful for this man to be healed in the calm, caring presence of Jesus instead of a hysterical crowd, instead of a, instead of a so-called healing service. You know, if any of you have been hurt by anything like that or you have people that have been hurt by that, I, I apologize. I'm sorry, not that I did it, but I just, I'm just sorry that you had to go through that. I told the story once, I'll tell it quickly. One of the places we go up in the Sierras, in fact, I may have told it recently, but who can remember anything anymore, right? Um, we went up there and uh, we were ministering to the people. They were very standoffish and we, were, we could tell what's going on. And they said, well, the last person that came was a healer and... Um, he, he was praying for this woman and uh, he was praying for her to receive her hearing and he forced her to take her hearing aid out and, and stomp it on the ground. And these people are dirt poor goat, goat herders. And then she kind of faked like, yeah, I can hear, but she couldn't hear. So when we came, they were like, is that what you guys are going to do to us? We had to kind of fight through that in order to minister to the people. So no, we're not going to do that to you. We're just going to pray. Keep your hearing aid. If you get, if you, I don't know if she got another one or not, but you know, it's just, I'm, so, I'm sad that those things happen in the name of Christ. But that's why we study the Bible. That's not Jesus, is it? That's not him at all. It's not him at all. Jesus sent the man home. Jesus' popularity was great. Sometimes the crowds prohibited him from even moving freely. And so he sends this guy home and says, don't tell anybody. I think one of the reasons was he wanted to keep a low profile so that he could move around freely. Secondly, his main mission was the cure of souls, not the cure of bodies. Everybody that Jesus healed eventually died. But every soul that was converted under his word lived forever. So the caring and the conversion and the healing of souls was his main concern. They had been trying, as I said previously, to withdraw from ministry. And so Jesus may have still been trying to rest. A lot of this, guys, might just be simple, the humanity of Jesus, like he's still tired. He'll let himself be interrupted. There's another thing that some of us, parentheses me, struggle with, getting interrupted, especially when I'm tired. But Jesus just, that's Jesus, right? Amen? It's just Jesus. I think also for the man's benefit, being alone, now think, consider this, you haven't seen for a long time, and now he can see. Probably being alone is better for his overall recuperation. He could be restored emotionally, psychologically, spiritually before having to answer innumerable questions. 
You know when something good happens to you and everybody rushes to you to ask you about it and you're just like, give me a minute, you know? Or you've suffered something, a death of somebody and people are right up on you and there's, there's you're, the whole man or the whole woman is processing this thing spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, him physically. He's processing all this stuff and I think, you know, Jesus is probably just saying, go home and just kind of reacclimate to being a man that has sight. Then you can go to town. And he just cares about the guy. That speaks to me, you know, if I'm reading this correctly, of just giving people some space sometimes when God's doing a healing in them. I don't have to rush right up on them and, and see what's going on. Give them space. I think also this guy has time to think about who this man was that healed him instead of getting hammered with, with questions. One of, one of the big things that, that was a, a downfall in the 70s and 80s during the Jesus movement when there was a revival in our nation to some degree was a lot of rock stars were being saved. Remember Bob Dylan, of course, my generation, Bob Dylan. And suddenly every Christian magazine in the world wants to grab him and make him their new hero. It's like leave the man alone, you know? Let him think, let him figure it out. Now it's Justin Bieber, apparently. You know? I see some things and I go, huh? Eh. I see some other things. I go, oh, you know, I don't know. But I, I, he doesn't have to answer my phone call. <laughs> Just pray for the man. If the Lord's working in his heart, praise God, you know? If Justin Bieber gets saved, praise the Lord. Fantastic. But let him grow. Let him be a Christian. Let him be a disciple. Let him. Turn away from whatever he needs to turn away from. I think Jesus has just given this guy some time to acclimate, who was this man that healed me? You know? I think Jesus is the perfect psychological caregiver, you know? Emotional caregiver, as well as healer of the body. Look at your notes, guys. We're going to close. If you have any questions, love to try to answer them. So there are some spiritual parallels here that are fairly easy to see. The Bible says that Every human being is born with spiritual blindness. Now, we were talking about physical blindness, but now we're going to kind of take a, a lateral step and consider spiritual blindness. 2 Corinthians 4 says this. Paul talks about those with whom he shares the gospel and how they, they resist it. And he said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. When you share the gospel with somebody and they say, that's ridiculous, they're saying it's ridiculous because they're spiritually blind and it shows that they're in, in the state and in the process of dying without, without forgiveness. They're perishing. Paul goes on to say, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. So this, this man in the, in the story had blinded eyes, but people today have blinded minds regarding Christ. It says they do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. So people are spiritually blind. I was spiritually blind until I wasn't, until I was received my sight to understand who Jesus was. God is always the initiator in that. He's always the one who's calling somebody and, and yearning with them and pleading with them to be healed. Secondly, Another thing we see out of this story, spiritual parallel. It's good to bring spiritually blind people to Jesus. I, I had you guys raise your hands a little while ago. Many of us here are Christians because somebody brought us to church or shared the gospel with us, shared their testimony with us. May we be those same kinds of people. I love what Job said about himself. Job was suffering greatly, but reflecting on his life, 
kind of giving his testimony, and he said this about himself, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. And that's a good verse, huh? That'll keep you busy, right? Amen or not? That'll keep you busy. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. That's a simple verse to remember. Lord, help me be eyes to the blind. Help me be feet to the lame. And so it's good to bring people to Jesus. Thirdly, spiritual sight is granted when we say yes to Christ, but our spiritual sight is not perfect until we get to heaven. Paul said this about all of us. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Behind these beautiful shutters here are opaque windows. That means you can't see through them clearly. They're white, and if somebody walks by, you can see that an image is walking by, but there's no way that you could tell who it is. Paul says that, basically. As, as a Christian, I can, I can see things about God, but it's not as clear as of, of, a, of, a, of a vision as when I go to be with him in heaven. So don't any of you dare say, I got it figured out. Because you don't. If you say that, you just prove the point that you're wrong. We're still learning to see. And I think about this man seeing gradually. Guys, we're almost done here. Hang in there with me, all right? You, you okay? Shall I start over? No. no. <laughs> I got your attention. <laughs> yeah, we need coffee and donuts now. Give me five minutes and you'll have them, okay? <laughs> I see more now than I did when I first came to the Lord. And we should never stop growing in our spiritual sight. So don't be surprised if something that you are so sure about this year, in regards to an opinion, politics, or this or that, or not the basics of the faith, but how it all applies, if next year you go, man, I was really overzealous about that. We're always growing. Finally, this is a tough one. Christians can suffer partial spiritual blindness. We can neglect our lives with God and get blind spots. Revelation 3. Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. Take this to heart, guys. This is a heavy one. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, faithful and true witness, the beginning and the creation of God. That's Jesus. This is what Jesus says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth called being indifferent towards Christ. Because you say I am rich, I become wealthy and I have need of nothing, do not know that you are and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. You know there are some Christians that don't know that about themselves spiritually speaking. They don't know how bad off they are. Because they're worldly minded, they're earthly minded and not heavenly minded. Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, notice guys, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Laodicea was known as a medical city and their specialty was treating eye diseases. And the place that treated eye diseases couldn't treat their own spiritual blindness. They took pride, here's a good one, for our body conscious world. They took pride in the physical and neglected the spiritual. Don't, don't switch that around, guys. Because you could become poor and pitiful and blind and naked. Jesus said, I counsel you 
Get the healing that you need. Get the sight back that you need. Verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Notice this and read it with me. Would you guys read verses 20 to 22 with me? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to be all, all be careful that we don't go into seasonal spiritual blindness, temporary spiritual blind spots. Are there any questions this morning? The fact that the blind man was slowly made whole reminds me of the journey of Christians and how it takes time for us to, to heal and become whole. Amen. God doesn't always fix us all at once, but we get there eventually and learn a lot on the way. Totally agree. Amen. Have you seen Steve McQueen, American Icon? No. From Harvest Church, Pastor Greg Laura. Useful as a witnessing tool? I would think so. Also, Harvest America is today live stream. That's a good thing to tune into. Amen. Lord, thank you that you're so concerned about us people, us humans. Thank you that you're so gentle, you're so good, you're so caring. You're, you're, so, you're so caring about the whole person that we are, our emotions and our psyche, our bodies, our souls, our spirits, Lord. You're gentle, you're, you're a strong, powerful healer, but you're also careful with us, Lord. And there's no reason for us to be afraid of you, Lord. So, Lord, may we not pull back from you because we're afraid. May we trust you. And, Lord, may you bring people to us. God, I pray for any of us today that need somebody to talk to, a safe person, Lord, that you would bring that person to us, God, that they would be eyes to the blind and feet to the lame and ears to those who feel like they have no one to speak to, Lord. Lord, I pray things that, that have held us back for a long time, God, that you would, today would be a day where some things would start to get pride loose from us. Even if we don't talk to anybody today, that we would just stop and think and, and, and realize that some things, there's some, some blindness there or whatever, Lord, that you want to deal with and that you want to heal. And I pray that we would just remember how wonderful you are, Lord. And may we trust you with our lives, Lord.